Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, we must have had some people who stayed over from the Sunday school. <laughs> I love it. You know, I get people-to-people stereo up here, you know. Well, as Pastor mentioned, I used to be an evolutionist. I used to believe in evolution. I used to teach evolution. I taught it from the seventh grade to the university level. And he's already taken a little bit of my thunder because I always like to get the gasps from people when I say, I was so much of an evolutionist, I grew up on the campus of the University of California, Berkeley. (laughs) Berkeley, the capital of evolution. Today, Berkeley is simply the modern Athens. Hello? Yeah, you read Acts 17, it's like going to Berkeley. (laughs) When Paul went to Athens, hello folks, come on, you can... Apparently, you didn't get enough coffee during the break. Uh, but the thing is, we're going to be spending five days together. We're going to be talking about various aspects concerning creation versus evolution. Now, tonight, tonight, we are going to be talking about what I personally believe is our single most important message. Now, it's not my favorite message. It's my second favorite message. But I think it's actually our most important one. I'm going to be talking about the creationist view of marriage. I guarantee you, if you will come tonight... You're going to learn things about marriage. I don't care if you had marriage encounter weekends every month for the last 10 years. You're going to learn new things tonight. Now, tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about the age of the earth, age of the universe. Now, we're going to be talking about science, but it's going to be simple, easy to understand science. This is not complicated. Excuse the expression. It's not rocket science. Hello? (laughs) We might talk about a rocket, but nonetheless... uh, Now, Tuesday night, we're going to be talking about the theological reasons why no old earth view is acceptable. Hello? So, Monday night, we're going to be talking about the science. Tuesday night, we're going to be talking about the theological. And so, you want to be there for those. And, of course, we're going to be talking again on Wednesday night, Thursday night. We're going to be talking about things like natural selection. Really? (laughs) That is the title. It's natural selection. Evolutionists will tell you that natural selection and survival of the fittest promote evolution, but the fact of the matter is they prove creation and they disprove evolution. Hello? So you want to be with us every night. But this morning, I want to talk with you for just a moment at least uh, uh, about, well, we're going to call it foundations. Pastor talked about it in one sense of the word, but ladies and gentlemen, the foundation of Christianity is creation. Without the acceptance of a young creation, there is no Christianity. Let me explain why that's true. Think with me for just a moment. Anybody who believes in millions and billions of years, for which there is no scientific proof, and I will disprove tomorrow night, but anybody who believes that millions and billions of years have occurred is saying that God is not the God of the Bible, that he's a weak God. Think with me for just a moment. The evolutionary process is a cruel process. Charles Darwin talked about it being red in tooth and claw. When he said red, he means blood. Evolution is a religion of death. But think with me for just a moment. If, if millions and billions of years were true, why would you want to believe that? It would only be to believe that life and death have been occurring for millions and billions of supposed years. If that is true, then death is common. And the death of one man on a cross is meaningless. It's just another death. It is only when you understand creation correctly, occurring approximately 6,000 years ago, that because of human sin, death of nefesh organisms came into the universe. 
Then and only then can you understand how the death of one sinless man on a cross can atone for the sins of the world. And so a young creation is not, it is not the gospel, but it is essential to the gospel. Are you with me? And so the young earth, and I would point out to you, Jesus quoted outside of these walls is asking good questions. If you don't have good answers to good questions, they've got no reason to pay any attention to you we share 96, 97, 98, 99% the same DNA as chimpanzees. That, that's just a common teaching amongst evolutionists, right? Do you realize that statement never had a scientific basis? They just made it up. But today we now know inside and out the genomes of humans and apes. And do you know what? You are only 70% the same genetically. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you're laughing. I really am. But I'd like to point out to you, it's an absurd method of comparison. I want you to understand that. To compare these things, it's absolutely absurd. But you are only 70% the same as apes, genetically speaking. But of course, you're also 50% the same as a banana. <laughs> I find that appealing. 100% from the Bible, 100% from science. A creation is true, occurred 6,000 years ago in six literal 24-hour days. And why should this be important to you? Because when we talk about these things, we're talking about the four most important questions in life. Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going? And how should you behave while you're here? Hello? These are the four most important questions in life, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And the ministry that I founded and represent is Creation Worldview Ministries. Why? Because we stress a Christian biblical worldview. Now, you notice I was very careful there. I said a Christian biblical worldview. Christians are only one of three religions in the world that start with an acceptance of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We are the only three religions that start in creation. Every other religion in the world starts with the acceptance of evolution, Hinduism being the most perfect example of that. Apparently, you don't quite follow me. You see, in Hinduism, you start off as a roach. It. But what's the worst thing that can happen? You have to start over as a roach. <laughs> Hello? Hinduism is the perfect example of evolution applied to religion. But, but Jews have a biblical worldview. Islam has a biblical worldview, but they're not Christian. Hello? But we have a Christian biblical worldview, and that's what I stress. And so I'd like to point out, what does this word worldview mean? Because a lot of people don't understand it. I mean, to a lot of people, worldview is like a buzzword kind of thing. But let me explain what a worldview is. A worldview is like a lens through which you see the world. But, but the shape, the prescription of your lens is based upon your acceptance of creation or evolution. And so, for instance, if your foundation of thinking is based on evolution, that causes the shape, the prescription of your lens to be such that when you look through that lens, you're going to say abortion, euthanasia, they're fine. Homosexuality, pornography, lawlessness, racism, they're fine. But if your foundation is based in creation, that changes the shape of your lens. And when you look through that lens, you're going to say abortion, euthanasia, or murder. The homosexuality, pornography, lawlessness, racism are wrong, and you're going to know why. And so I have only one dogmatic statement to make to you today, and that dogmatic statement is this. All thinking is either going to be done in obedience to God or in disobedience to God. 
Folks, that was worth a big amen. No, 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 I'm going to give you a second chance. I, I, I said, all thinking is either going to be done in obedience to God or in disobedience to God. Amen? And that's why this should be important to you. Now, I used to be an evolutionist. Again, I taught it from the seventh grade to the university level. During all that time, I was never shown anything that contradicted evolution. I was only shown evolution, period. But at the age of 27, I became a Christian. And I'll talk about that a little bit more to you and my life in becoming a creationist. But, but, I want you to think about something with me for just a moment. What do evolutionists believe? Well, evolutionists believe in eternal things. Now, when you ask an evolutionist, an atheistic evolutionist, do you believe in eternal things? They'll say, oh, no, 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 we don't believe in eternal things. But ladies and gentlemen, you always know when an evolutionist is lying to you because their lips are moving. (laughs) Excuse me? It's a dead giveaway, folks. And simple cause and effect reasoning will prove to you that evolutionists do believe in eternal things. Think with me for just a moment. Ask an evolutionist, where did people come from? After all, that's the thing that we are most concerned about. Would you agree? So you ask an evolutionist, where did people come from? And they say, oh, that's simple. People came from some kind of a mammal, probably a primate of some kind. And you go, uh-huh. Then, then where did the primates, the mammals, come from? And say, oh, well, that's simple. They came from reptiles. You go, uh-huh. Then where did the reptiles come from? And they say, oh, that's simple. They came from amphibians. And you go, yeah, right. Then where do the amphibians come from? And they will say, oh, that's simple. They came from fish. And you go, yeah, right. Then where did the fish come from? And they say, oh, they came from single-celled creatures. And you go, uh-huh, yeah, right. Then where did the single-celled creatures come from? And they will look you right in the eye, and they will respond by simply saying, rocks. Yeah, apparently you didn't get that. You've got to get the smile, too. Rocks. If you're an evolutionist, you believe that, uh, well, life comes from inanimate rocks. But of course, as a thinking, intelligent human being, you do want to ask one more question, which would be, of course, where did the rocks come from? See, you guys are with me here. Where did the rocks come from? Now, you have to remember, I used to be an evolutionist. I used to teach this stuff. I used to have a license to teach evolution. Hello? (laughs) And when you ask an evolutionist, where did the rocks come from? You're only going to get one of two answers. I know them because I used to teach them. And when you ask an evolutionist, where did all the mass, all the energy from the universe come from? They simply go, eh. That that was it, folks. (laughs) (coughs) The, The other answer does have more words to it. When you ask them, where did the mass, the energy from the universe come from? They will stiffen up. They will look you right straight in the eye seem very professorial, stick their finger in your face, and they'll say, well, it has just always been. Now tell me something. When an evolutionist says, well, it has just always been, what are they saying? They are saying it is eternal. They do believe in eternal things. But of course, we as Christians also believe in eternal things, but the eternal thing that we believe in is God. Hello? And... And we believe that he has revealed himself to us in a noble way through his Bible. Is that correct? Oh, so both believe in eternal things, but they're radically different. Would you agree? Now, why should this be important to you? Well, it's very simple. It's important to God. Hello? Would you please open your owner's manuals? 
That, that's what it says on my Bible. It's owner's manual. At, at the bottom it says unlimited warranty. Now, why should you be, well, why should it be important to you? Because it's important to God. If you'll open up to John chapter 5, I'd like to look at the last five, uh, just the last three verses of John chapter 5. Starting at verse 45, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to the Sanhedrin, and he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Jesus is not our accuser. Jesus is our advocate. Is that correct? He doesn't accuse us of anything. He said, there is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Notice he says Moses. Is that correct? He's speaking to the Sanhedrin. These were men who could quote the Old Testament from heart. Have you ever tried to memorize the book of Numbers? I consider it an exercise in futility. But these are men that could do it. And they all believe that if Moses wrote it, it was God's holy word. And he says, the one who accuses you is Moses. But then he goes on to say, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Hello? But then he says, but if you believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? What did Jesus say? If you don't believe what Moses wrote, you have no need for me. You see, his argument was easily understood 2,000 years ago. Any appeal to Moses is an appeal to his most famous book. Any appeal to his most famous book, the book of Genesis, is an appeal to creation. And what Jesus said was, if you do not believe in creation, you have no need of me. Hello? And that's why it should be important to you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have been a diligent, earnest seeker of truth my entire lifetime. I know that's a bold statement, but I'd like to back it up. But I've been a diligent, earnest seeker of truth my entire lifetime. Now, any, any scientist should be a seeker of truth. Hello? I will tell you, many are not. It's an unfortunate thing, but, but many are actually not interested in truth. But, but I have been a diligent, earnest seeker of truth my entire lifetime. I, I forgot to mention, by the way, yes, I did grow up on the campus of Cal Berkeley, but I was born in Chinatown, San Francisco. Hello? Yeah. So I was a steeped evolutionist, but I've always been a seeker of truth. Now, when I was an evolutionist, I believed that evolution was true. But why? Because it was the only thing they taught me. You see, good education requires that you be taught in what's called circumspect, meaning that you're taught both sides of an issue. And then the student is supposed to be allowed to determine which of the two they will accept for themselves. Hello? But when you teach only one side of an issue, that's not education. That's indoctrination. Hello? And so I was highly indoctrinated, I admit it. But I was still a seeker of truth even when I was an evolutionist. And uh, to, just to explain to you how diligent a seeker of truth I was even as an evolutionist, uh, I did grow up uh, on the campus of Cal Berkeley, but when I was 14, my father resigned from the university, took a job in Washington, D.C., uh, <laughs> and I actually went to high school in the District of Columbia. Yeah. Now, apparently you don't understand that, really. Uh, going to high school in the District of Columbia is like going to high school in Albania. Again, apparently you don't understand. You see, they're both foreign countries, and they're both equally dangerous. Hello? But just to try to get across, I've been a diligent, earnest seeker of truth my entire lifetime. I used to do my high school homework. 
at the Library of Congress. Hello? You get the idea I'm serious? But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to share something with you this morning. You will never, ever attain truth by working for it. Did you hear me? You will never attain truth by working for it. I don't care how many degrees you've got. I mean, I got two doctorates, et cetera, et cetera. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many learned men and women you go to see. I don't care how much world travel you have done in the past and hopefully will do in the future. Hello. <laughs> we missionaries, man, it's been a bad year. I've missed five foreign trips so far. But I don't care. The fact of the matter is, I don't care. What all of that you have done, you will never ever attain truth by working for it. And the reason is quite simple. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And if you want to have access to all the truth there is in the entire universe, all you have to do is ask that person to come into your life. Hello? And some of you may say, wait a minute, how can truth be a person? But I'd like to prove that truth is a person. Would you again turn in your owner's manuals? You're going to stay in the same book. Just go to chapter 1, if you would. Please go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Notice that in verse 14, John writes, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice it says, full of grace and truth. By the way, as we're reading these scriptures I'm about to share with you, I'd like everybody to say, truth when we get there. So, well, John writes that Jesus is full of grace and truth. But take a look at verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That truth is realized through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you would, please turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now in John chapter 8, there's a very interesting conversation that is going on there. And you will notice in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So John 8, 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Did you notice what Jesus just said? These are believing Christian Jews before his death, burial, and resurrection. Is that correct? These are believing Christian Jews before the proof that he was who he said he was. And he goes on to say, If you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. These believing Christian Jews of 2,000 years ago have a gauntlet, a challenge, a charge for you today, and that's this. Think with me. They knew what they believed. They knew why they believed it. They were willing to defend it to others before the proof that he was who he said he was. Is that correct? Their challenge to you is this. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? And are you willing to defend it to others before the final outcome? Hello? Yeah, I heard somebody go, ooh, that one hurt? Well, I would have preferred uh, an amen, but we'll try it again. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? And are you willing to defend it to others before the final outcome? Amen. Amen. And Jesus says that if, in fact, you are a believer, that you shall know the truth and that you shall make you free or set you free. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, I work in over 20 languages on five continents, over 20 countries. It doesn't matter where you go, truth will set you free. I've seen it on every continent except Antarctica. But if you can get me, a, if you can get me an invitation to Antarctica, I'm willing to go. Hello? I really am. But, but truth will set you free, and truth set me free. And I wonder if you would now please turn in your Bibles to John, again, the Gospel of John. We're going to go to John 14. Now, in John 14, we're going to read a verse. Now, before we do, I would like to ask, um, you see, I want to teach you a good Bible study technique. How many of you have ever gone into the kitchen and picked up a dry sponge? Okay, look, folks, there's no trick questions in any of my presentations, okay? <laughs> How many of you have ever gone in the kitchen and picked up a dry sponge? Great. What do you have to do to see it full size? You've got to wet it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we do this in every language of the world. We abbreviate our sentences. It's a way of saying things faster. And what do we do? We make a series of statements with commas and apply it to one thing. And so whenever, I don't care whether it's a legal document or the Bible, whenever you see a sentence constructed that way, say, wait a minute, that is a dry sponge. And if you want to see it full size, you've got to add water. So we're going to read John chapter 14, verse 6, but listen carefully, because I'm going to add water to a dry sponge. Notice in John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Please tell me, did Jesus say, I'm telling you the truth? No. Did he say, I'm being truthful with you? No. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the truth. And truth is a person, not a concept. If you would, please turn with me just to two more verses. That's it. Again, the same chapter. But just turn down in chapter 14 till you get to verses 16 and 17. Now, again, I'm going to add some water here. But notice it says in verse 16, And I, Jesus, will pray the Father. And he, the Father, shall give you another. The word in Greek there means equal but different. Equal but different. Do you realize that for the first 200 years of the church, there was an argument as to whether the Holy Spirit was a force or God? But after 200 years, they finally decided that the Holy Spirit was God, co-equal to the Father and the Son, because Jesus said he was equal but different. And he's the one that's called the comforter, the counselor. The word can be correctly translated lawyer. And so Jesus says he's going to pray the Father. The Father's going to send you the comforter, counselor, lawyer, that he may abide with you forever. And then he says this, that the name of the one who is equal, the comforter, is the spirit of truth. That the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Did you hear that? Every Christian has the spirit of truth dwelling within them. 
Hello? I have that on the authority of Scripture, do I not? And so I want you to think about something. A pastor's going to come up here in just a moment, wherever he is. I've lost track of him at the moment. Uh, oh, he, somebody's pointing, but that's okay. Pastor, just come on up here. I have a, a question for you. You see, you cannot be absolutely honest with me. You can only be absolutely honest with yourself. Hello? Nobody can be absolutely honest with another person because nobody knows another person completely and totally, and you can only be absolutely honest with yourself. But I want you to ask yourself this question. According to the Bible, every Christian believer has the Holy Spirit of truth dwelling within them. My one question, don't answer out loud, please. Do you have the Spirit of truth personally dwelling within you? Just to yourself, answer that question. And if you said yes, you're a Christian. Nothing else needs to be said. But if you said no... I applaud your honesty. I really do. But I do want you to know that before you leave this room today, you can have the spirit of truth personally dwelling within you. You can have access to all the truth there is in the whole universe. And pastor's going to talk with you about how to do that. The Bible says, uh, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Every time we try to have a special event or a special speaker or even a normal Sunday, where we preach what he just spoke of. We have resistance. You may feel that same resistance when you try to do the will of God. When you try to do something that God wants you to do, you may feel things may happen. Uh, you know, men, let's say, men, you get up and you have a burning desire to tell the gospel of your boss at work. And so you've prepared yourself, you've prayed, you get up and you go out to your car your tire's flat. You're all cleaned up, dressed up. You put all that, you put your new tire on there. You got dirty. Irritates you a little bit. You jump in your car, battery's dead. And on and on it goes. But you wade through all of that. And you go finally to your boss and you say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And then God comes and overcomes the resistance of the evil and the gates of hell, the consuls of hell. If you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, what does that mean? That means what our brother talked about also and what I'm going to say. If you are saving, nobody works their way to truth. You accept truth. I love that, brother. And when you accept the person of Jesus Christ as your Savior by that little itty-bitty amount of faith, God does some miraculous thing and bursts you into his family. It's phenomenal. What's amazing about it is it's free. There's not a lot in this world that's not changeable. But I love what the Bible says God never changes. There's not even the shadow of turning in him. Not even a little shadow. I pray that you not leave today without at least discussing or asking some questions for some of us that are here. Brother Chris will be out back, out in front. I'll make my way out there. Brother Brother Thomas Sweat will probably be out there. We have other people that could clearly. And ladies, if Mrs. we'll have Marilyn Rose out there. You know you're alive. And you can know you're saved. Because the Holy Spirit of God, which he talked about, which comes in and seals you under the day of redemption, will testify of the surety of it to you. And you may not be able to argue it very well. You won't be able to argue it like he does. But you, you can just say, I just know.
I just know. Father, thank you for the few minutes together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.